Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to The Art of Charm. I'm AJ. I'm Johnny. We hope you enjoyed last week's episode, digging a little bit more into my backstory. And this week, we're excited to talk about perfectionism. Yeah, now that we got our stories out of the way, we can dive back into it. And we have plenty of these to go as we uh, move forward. And we're happy to get some guests going, too, in the next few months. So happy that you all are still tuning in and checking it out. Yeah, and I know that perfectionism is something that a lot of our clients that we work with here in Los Angeles struggle with. So today, we're going to dispel some myths around perfectionism because there's one big one that I didn't even realize and I learned as we were prepping for this show. So we'll walk through that and we're going to talk about some ways that you can work through your perfectionism so that you can actually take action because a lot of times this will lead to inaction, which can lead to some anxiety. Yeah, the myth that I had read about earlier that we're going to be discussing today is really interesting, and I can't wait to get her to it. But the moment you want to hear the myth, it makes perfect sense and why it had become a myth as well. So, And we'll talk about some strategies for dealing with your perfectionism as well as some ways to look at perfectionism under a different light. I think a lot of times we have seen perfectionism as a good thing, mm-hmm. right? People strive to be perfect, but we're going to talk about some of the downsides to perfectionism as well as we get uh, rolling here. And then we're going to end today with some questions you can ask yourself to see whether or not you are a perfectionist, because it might be enlightening listening to this episode for some of us who were unaware that we were perfectionists. So AJ, do you have us a definition for us that we yeah, can work with? Yeah, a definition of a perfectionist is someone who has high standards, meaning they expect a lot from themselves in the day in, day out, and they absolutely love when life is organized and orderly, trying their best at everything. Well, right there, that doesn't sound so bad. Until you start to worry over life's uh, details uh. and get anxious to make every single event in your life just so. Now we have a problem. Right. Now (laughs) now we're going to start having some struggles, right? Taking that action, whether it's socially, whether it's in cleaning up and organizing and getting started on a project. What's really interesting is obviously this myth around procrastination and perfectionism. Yeah, that's the link that there's no correlation. 
So a lot of us, uh, myself included, thinking about this, thought, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense that perfectionism will lead to procrastination, right? You wait for everything to just be perfect, so you just don't do anything and mm-hmm. it leads to inaction. There's some interesting research here that actually says that's a complete myth. That is bogus. Yes. And this article that we've been reading essentially says, for anxiety to cause procrastination, the two have to be connected. That is, anxiety-prone people have to put things off more than others. But according to research and analysis of about 100 different studies involving tens of thousands of participants, anxiety produces a negligible amount of procrastination at best. And even that tiny amount disappears completely after you take into account other personality characteristics, especially impulsiveness, which is at the opposite end of the spectrum, right? Perfectionists are not impulsive. They are deliberate. Extreme conscientiousness, extreme orderliness, everything just so, impulsiveness, throw everything out the window, let's go. Right. So we're talking about two entirely different extremes of the spectrum here. But for a lot of us, the idea that, oh, well, perfectionism would lead to an action, would lead to you putting things off, it kind of makes a little bit of sense. Hearing it in that manner, now you can look at perfectionism as maybe somebody who can't finish the project. Yeah. Because then at that point, they're going to be ridiculed. It's up for criticism. What if they hadn't done a good job? So it's the person who's continually tinkering with the report or never turning anything in or always hands it over to their superiors about 90% done and says, hey, why don't you finish it? And why is it so important to identify this, Johnny? I know we see it in clients. I think a lot of people tend to pretend to use perfectionism as a badge of well-meaning. If you think about how could I talk down upon myself but still make myself look good? Well, you know what? I'm a perfectionist. And sometimes I just go a little overboard. Well, does that mean because you're, you're not starting things and that's because you want it to be perfect? Because that's certainly not the case from this study. Didn't you say hundreds of studies with thousands of people? The myth that perfectionism creates procrastination actually doesn't make sense when you look at the data. Nope. What traits do you associate with procrastination? People who, I don't know, don't want to get it started. Being a little messy. Messy. Being disorganized. disorganized. Well, that's actually the opposite of a perfectionist. A perfectionist is neat and organized. As you mentioned, those both of those are very impulsive traits. And easily to get distracted by the next shiny object or pushing things aside so you don't have to deal with them because of doing the things that you want to be doing or whatever hits you in the moment. For us here, realizing that myself, you can just go in my bedroom, you'll realize I'm not a perfectionist. Yeah. I'm a procrastinator, unfortunately. Those two got linked over the years. Sigmund Freud was one of the first ones to link them together, but it's been disproven by this research. And I think that's important for us to realize that just because you claim that your perfectionism leads to procrastination, you're not actually telling the truth. Well, the other thing about it is I think a lot of people who suffer from a lot of anxiety will use that as a badge. And the thing about it is anxiety isn't something that keeps you from doing a project. In fact, it is something that pushes you into getting a project started. Going above and beyond. And knowing that if I don't get this started, it's only going to get worse. The impulsive person isn't going to to have that. They're going to move on to whatever floats their boat in that moment without a care. And they're going to push the other things aside. I think that's where the things get a bit mixed up and where people will hold that anxiety on as part of a complex of perfectionism. 
it's actually the anxiety becomes a motivator. Yes. The anxiety drives you to lean in more, put in more effort and energy on this project to make sure that it is perfect. Let's just say that maybe you were starting to hit high school and you start to look around and seeing the guys that were maybe a little bit more athletically gifted are the ones where the girls are talking to. And then you start looking around and like, well, I need to figure out something. And what happens when you continue to sit around and not do anything to move yourself towards that goal, which your body is pushing you into? That anxiety is going to get more and more difficult to deal with. It is pushing you into that role of moving you into that biology-driven process. And let's think about it, right? A procrastinator is not going to be critical of himself. It's the perfectionist who's going to be critical of themselves for not succeeding. The procrastinator is going to move on to something else to procrastinate about. There literally have been times where I've cleaned in procrastinating doing such a bigger task, right? It's like, oh, I got to write this paper in school. You know what? I should clean my room. I got my rooms been driving me crazy. I can't work under these conditions. Well, and one of the reasons that we're bringing this up when we're speaking about it is we do see it quite commonly in the guys that, that come here. And I would say in each group, there's probably two to three out of a full house that are real perfectionists. A lot of people, as I said, will hide under that umbrella, but they're not really perfectionists. They're procrastinators. They show themselves Tuesday at video work Yeah, when we actually videotape the interaction because a lot of us have this image of ourselves and what we're projecting onto the Mm -hmm. world, what our first impression is, what our body language is like. And internally, we can feel that we're sending the right signals. And then when you see yourself on video and you see that some of these signals are being scrambled, Mm -hmm. some of these things that I'm doing with my nervous energy, I wasn't even aware of, right? It was subconscious. If you're a perfectionist, you can take a real beating in that video works where you're like, this is not what I strive to look like. And this is not what I want people to see me as. I would also say that another one that splits the difference between the procrastinator and the perfectionist is the perfectionist will be head to toe groomed meticulously. There won't be a hair out of place. The clothes will not be wrinkled in one place or another. They're the ones asking for the ironing board. They're the ones hanging up their clothes the second they get here. And, to there, is, and there is a routine for everything. And if that routine gets interrupted, we'll hear about it. At oh, the yeah. house. <laughs> now the procrastinator is also sitting on the couch because he's a procrastinator. He's going to try to hide under the perfectionist umbrella. His hair's not combed. He's wearing an ill-fitting shirt. And he's like, oh, no, I'm with the perfectionist guy, too. Yeah, that's the reason I'm not taking action. I I, I want everything to be perfect. Yeah, no, that's not where I get. (laughs) So you saw him from a mile away is, is what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. This is something that you often hear celebrated, Mm -hmm. but is it something that we should be celebrating? Well, that's most importantly why I wanted to bring it up today, because I think a lot of people use it as this badge of courage, except for the real perfectionists. They actually suffer because of it. And how they suffer because of it is because their criticism can throw them off, because having something finished and somebody else not liking it or falling short of the mark that they have set out for themselves they can end up in a loop where they are beating themselves up. And then if that's the case, they have to find some form of escapism that's, let's face it, usually not healthy. Right. And that's going to start with, well, whatever escapism they can find, maybe it's food, maybe it's video games in that case. And then we're going to see it rolling into depression because they can't get out of the loop. 
and you can only imagine where it goes from there. And if there's no help in that point, it only gets worse. Right. So understanding that perfectionism actually leads to depression. Perfectionism is not something that you would look to really celebrate. It's something that would be concerning because it can lead to a level of self-criticism that leads to panic, anxiety attacks. Mm -hmm. These are very common in perfectionists when something is awry, when that hair is out of place, when everything they poured themselves into is not received well, is not seen in the light that they would like to be seen in. Now, I'd like to indulge in this conversation a little bit and roll with me. And I obviously, we're not psychologists here, but I always like to pontificate on a lot of these things. And obviously, growing up when I did, we saw less of this perfectionism thing when kids started growing older, when they got into high school and, and moving into college. Because for a lot of it, they had been left alone. You would drive down the street in the 80s and kids would all be outside. They're playing football. They're getting scraped up. It was a normal night out if I came home and I was bleeding. Like, that was not a big deal. And it got to the point where if I cut myself to a point where I had, where I knew I had to get stitches because it's happened so much at this point, right? I would come home at this point, not in shock. I'd be like, Dad, I have to go to the hospital. I need stitches. And my, and my dad would not be in shock at all either. Go, Let me see. We'll see if you really need to go to the hospital or not. The other thing to keep in mind here is technology rewards perfectionism. Yes. Right? Computers are very binary. Cell phones are very binary. So for the perfectionists, these become an escape. Building mm -hmm. code, building website, working on apps. These are yeah. very normal things because you know the computer is going to spit out either you're right or you're, or you're wrong. wrong. Whereas what we're talking about, going out playing, going out socializing, there's more nuance there. Not only that, how you grow up and to be a well-adjusted human being is by going outside to the other kids and getting knocked around getting criticized getting, getting criticized you have told that you're not as perfect as you think you you're have not to go out being a bluttering idiot for and everyone else going that's not acceptable in our group and then you have to mold yourself to fit in right without that getting tossed about now you're moving into a position and the older you get the harder that becomes to take any of those knocks around how easy is it in today's day and age to go immediately into computers, into virtual worlds, feel that you're being social? We talk about it all this right. time. Now, the only time that you really have to put yourself out there to struggle and to receive criticism is when you're finally taking that piece of paper that you earned at school and try to make it work for yourself. And how about the research that we've seen on even people in grad school who are afraid to do a thesis or a paper for the first time? Yeah, it can be crippling. So understanding that perfectionism is rewarded by technology through this dopamine loop that we oh, keep talking yeah. about. And what you see is that you lose the social skills, you lose this nuance, this ability to relate to people. You find these outlets in the virtual world, these opportunities for you to hear the computer tell you you are 100% correct. Yeah, That self-fulfilling prophecy is what leads a lot of people to us. So this is something that we see a lot in clients, and it's something that has been shown to be detrimental. And that's why we're trying to raise awareness around it. Let's just say that you actually do suffer from perfectionism. It's not the end of the road, and there is a way out. Certainly, talking therapy and seeing somebody is definitely going to help. But there's a lot of things that you can do for yourself, too, and we'd like to go through some of those things. I think first, if you're dealing with a lot of guilt, shame, embarrassment, humiliation, we need to be able to frame that in a way where it's 
positive, where some of these things are just us learning our way through things socially that perhaps we haven't been privy to in the past. Well, you hear from a lot of people, celebrate the journey, celebrate the process. It's all about the process. It's not the end goal. For the perfectionist, right? What are you talking about? Everything's (laughs) about the end goal. It's about getting the 100%. So it can be a foreign concept when you hear that. Just celebrate the process, celebrate the process. It's all about getting the victories along the way. One of the ways that we talk about doing this is one, finding new opportunities to stretch yourself. The anxiety that we're talking about that perfectionists feel where the walls are closing in, well, that's because you're not finding these opportunities to make failure silly and make failure normal. You become so frightened by failure and so frightened by the 98% or the 97% score instead of 100 that it leads to this inaction. So what I'd like to do is share a story about putting things out to be criticized and for the greater good for yourself. Now, you come from a science background, and I know that a lot of these concepts that I look at as a performing art concepts, you see in a, a different way, but through the science lens, but it's still the same method. Right. Okay. And so for myself, I like to share the story about the Ramones. Now, lots of bands have done this, but I think the Ramones are probably the most famous for this. Now, we have a bunch of blue collar kids, you know, from the rough parts of the Bronx. In the 70s in New York, they didn't have much options. Uh, and they were basically trying to figure out, like, well, what do we do? We could either hang out on the side, uh, on the corner and get ourselves in trouble. And they were already doing that and realized that if they continue to do that, it's going to be harder and harder for them to be well-adjusted, contributing folks to, right. to the community. Lots of young men do this. Myself included. It's like, well, you know what? Let's buy instruments. Let's start a band. It'll be us against the world. And this whole romanticized idea of making it big. And then we'll meet some girls and all this kind of stuff. So they all went out. They bought instruments. They got themselves in a rehearsal room. And now, now we have four guys who haven't played instruments before trying to figure it out. And they're, they're working through different configurations to see, well, who's going right. to sing? Who's going to play guitar? Who's going to play bass? And they're squabbling like brothers and they're fighting and they're beating each other up. Not anytime they go into the room, it's just nothing but chaos. However, they have one guy, the drummer, who had a little bit of music background. So he's able to, to see where some of the guys are shining. So Tommy's yeah. the one that's looking at it from an outside perspective and looking at it objectively and seeing who's got what. After a while, they finally configure some things together and they need to play, find a place to play. And they find CBGBs. Now, their first show... I think their third show is actually videotaped and it's on YouTube and you can see what a complete disaster Cluster. It is. And it's great. Now, here's the best thing about it. Johnny had this very blue collar working thing. It's like, I don't care where we are right now, but we're not going to get better until we play in front of people. So now that they played a live show, which is so much different than in the rehearsal room, you have it on video. Now you can see who needs to work on what. And Slowly but surely, objectively, they're able to take that video and look at it and strengthen. Here's what looks really bad on stage. Here's what looks really good on stage. Here's where we can tighten this setup. And if you even look at the third show, I think two songs in, they're already arguing about what the next song is. And then Johnny throws the guitar and storms off stage. But yet they still finish this 20-minute set of 13 songs. It's just chaos. But it's the idea of if we're going to get better, we have to throw something out there and, and go from there. And of course, in this company, we've had how many revisions of websites? I think we're on our 14th or 15th, yeah. <laughs> and how did those things go? Let's get it out there. Let's get some feedback. Let's see how things work. And of course, I'm sure that method 
may even have a more technical name from the science community, but maybe you could fill me in on that. I don't know the name of the method, but it's the same question that we get around the podcast of yeah. how do you get started? How do you get started? You hit record. You hit record. Right? We didn't know how this was going to be received. We had no idea that it was going to turn into a thing, but we published. Mm -hmm. We got it out there. And that's where the downside of perfectionism leads to a total inaction because I don't want to fail and people to see that I fail. It's funny because my dad was a perfectionist. Okay. And I'm a procrastinator. <laughs> so you can imagine the difficulty it was growing yeah. up where every hair on my dad's head was perfect. His signature actually was so famous through his Navy days. Yeah. And it's so absolutely meticulous. And it became something that he was known by. So when he passed away, I actually tattooed his signature on my chest. Yes. Everyone looks at the tattoo and they're like, what is that amazing writing? And it's yeah. my father's signature. So that level of perfectionism, well, you can imagine me growing up trying to cut the lawn. So right? <laughs> the lines are a little wavy. I got to do it over. Got to do it over. So it led to me trying to shirk responsibility. I just didn't want to be involved because mm -hmm. the level that my dad would go to got to the point that we're going to talk about a little bit later where, you know, this can spiral into OCD behavior, where all of a sudden you are paralyzed by this anxiety and everything has to be perfect for you to function. Also, I mean, we had just done the interview with you and you were in the lab and you, and we talk about this of, of William James publishing a paper in, in late 1870s where he talks about how how you move affects the way you think and feel. And, you know, you publish something like that. Science is going to run after you and test its validity. And because of that, not only do we find out that that is true, we also know now that even deeper that your brain produces the chemicals to back up those thoughts and feelings. Part of that and being in the lab is putting stuff out there, knowing that it's going to come back at you hard. One of the best explanations I ever got about science in mm -hmm. general is the idea of an alien landing on the planet and he sees a transistor radio that's been dropped and shattered into a thousand pieces, right? He's never seen this device, a piece of technology, trying to piece it back together and rebuild the radio. Okay. No instruction manuals, yeah. never having seen any of these parts. A lot of science is chasing these phenomena. In a lab setting, some of these phenomena just don't occur in real life. So they try animal studies a variety of different ways to test the validity. But because of this phenomenon and the fact that only positive results get published, Mm -hmm. negative results don't get published, a lot of people don't realize how much failure is intertwined in into science. Yes. I remember in the lab, I was studying a very small protein called P16, okay. and it was very important in cancer development in the specific head and neck cancer. The protein was so small that it was very hard to pick up on these Western blots. It would move so quickly through the, the mesh filter that you couldn't always pick it up. And we were chasing this protein essentially through yeah. these tests. And there was so many frustrated moments where we'd try a new reagent, a different Western blot style, a new way to pick up the protein itself. I remember just feeling completely defeated after two months, and I could not validate our hypothesis. Well, you go through your scientific career, and you realize that failure that's part of it. is a huge <laughs> part of it. And I do believe that that strengthened our resolve for going on to do business because sure. I was used to failing. I was used to being criticized. That's a huge part of it too. Mm -hmm. So coming into this space, coming into business, we fail a lot. People ask me, what do I wish I knew about entrepreneurship is get comfortable with failure. failure. You know, I would have to credit you on the, on bringing that to the table when we first started out, because I remember getting some of our first feedback of how the programs could be 
much better. You did not take offense to it. You were not pissed off. In fact, you changed everything according to that feedback if it warranted that this was going to be better. Yeah, I know in the beginning when we had a pretty large number of staff members and we were younger guys, it was pretty easy for ego to get in the way and be like, oh, well, we're getting a negative review because that person's an idiot. But science challenges you in a way Mm -hmm. that if you're not listening to the criticism, you're going to fail as a scientist. Sure. So I took all of those moments in the beginning as learning moments. And now we jokingly say, you know, we're on AOC (laughs) 5.0 because we're constantly seeking out feedback and criticism to improve what we're doing. It's a large part of what goes on here. I mean, every time anyone goes through the program, they have a survey to fill out because we want that feedback. And of course, we're talking to you guys right now. And we ask you guys, hey, throw us a testimonial. And we read them. That's one of the things that I'm proud of is our ability to adapt to the feedback to make things better. When we start talking about perfectionism and how it becomes detrimental, you put yourself in a position where you don't want to have any feedback. Of course Because not. you're so afraid that the feedback's going to come back and say you're imperfect. But in reality, one of the easiest ways to work through this is to expose yourself to more failure. Yes. Right? It hardens you. Well, this is why I love the performing arts so much. And we've added improv here at AOC because when you're performing, you're in front of people. It could always be better. And there's always something to learn. And in those rehearsals, you're in a safe space to try new things, to be creative, to go outside your comfort zone. And if you're working in a place where people are encouraging and supporting, you'd be very surprised of how creative, how spontaneous, and how witty you could actually be. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. 
Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right? Everything we're talking about here comes down to the ego, the sense of shame and embarrassment. And one of the easiest ways to work your way through that is with a sense of humor. So if you want to find your resolve or you want to build some resiliency, something like improv or a dance class, even CrossFit, right? right? Working They're, out. You're going to be in front of people. Things aren't going to go as planned. Who knows what's going to happen? But you're also going to be surrounded by other people who are failing too. Yes. So that is the thing, right? As a perfectionist, the avoidance of failure is often tied to what other people think about you. And you don't want other people to think that you're a failure. You don't want other people to see you as imperfect. But if you put yourself in these situations where everyone is failing, whether it's improv, whether it's dance, whether it's learning a new skill, or it's something like MMA or exercise, everyone in the room is failing together. And it's yes. through that failure that you can start to get a little more comfortable with it. I think MMA is another great example of that. I mean, that's where you're just going to go and get your ass kicked. <laughs> Literally. And, yeah. and here's the thing. It's not about size, nope. right? A lot of times people are like, oh, he's bigger. He's going to whoop his butt. It's not about size. It's about technique. It's about knowing what the heck to do when you're grappling, when you're actually engaged. In all of these situations, with everyone failing, it starts to build that thicker skin that we're talking about yes. here that allows you to have some resiliency to push through those failures. Listen, there are always going to be situations where you wish they went a little bit better. But the flip side of those is they never go as bad as you think they do. And that's never. one of the biggest lessons from boot camp. I was giving a talk in Atlanta at Menfluential. Um, I had some slides. I had a video example that was going to demonstrate body language. I'm used to giving this little piece of class in a small room where I can have volunteers come up mm -hmm. and demonstrate. So I didn't have that opportunity. It was a bigger room and the AV wasn't working. 
I couldn't find my rhythm. I couldn't get the slides. I was completely flustered and the audience felt it. So they started pushing and hitting me with questions and I was really struggling. So I finish and a few people come up, ask me some questions. A couple of people actually say it was a great presentation, which I'm like, what are you talking about? That was mm-hmm. terrible. And I'm just beating myself up after the talk. And a few of my buddies are like, dude, we didn't even know that was a great talk. <laughs> it took me a while to work my way through it. But in all of these situations, in the moment when you're failing and there is people staring at you, your ego is a little bruised, it can be difficult. But realizing that it's never as bad as you thought. It never is taken by other people nearly as negatively as you are going to perceive it and be critical of. That's an important first step. Absolutely. And I will add to that that it can actually be a lot of fun if you understand what's going on and you understand that now you're dealing with this thing that's happening and now you're in your head. But knowing what you can get out of this makes it all worth it. Let's talk about those three things, right? Anytime you're throwing yourself into the unknown and when you get on stage, you're walking oh, it's in, the unknown. You're walking into the unknown. No matter how rehearsed it is, it's still now it's live. It's a brand new thing. Now, what you're going to be getting out of going into the unknown, whether it's your first time on the mat at MMA, BJJ, whether it's CrossFit, a dance class, whether it's improv group, whether it's performing, the first thing you're going to get by throwing yourself in there is you're going to learn something about yourself. Absolutely. And something that you previously hadn't known that's invaluable because now you have a floor and know what you can get better. And when we say learn something about yourself, this is important, right? We're still looking for the positive thing you can learn about yourself. And that's going to be the struggle for the perfectionist. Mm -hmm. I understand that. One of the main reasons we talk so much about journaling and getting these thoughts out of your head and writing them down is so that you can take these minutes to say, well, what was the positive that I could take out of it? Even if it's the smallest of things, right? Whether it's I stayed in the bar for 15 minutes longer than I thought. Yeah. I hung out at the networking event for 30 minutes. I normally would have walked out when the first person didn't say hi to me. Whatever that smallest incremental win is that you can take, that's what we're looking for. When Mm -hmm. we say learn something about yourself, it's not a laundry list of things you learned that you failed and did wrong. The second one you'll get is you'll get experience points that transfer to confidence points. And no one can take those away from you. And I think we have a few video game fans listening. So this experience points, how you're leveling up your character online. You've done it a few times and you'll figure it out. Now that that piece that you couldn't get through is now the easiest thing in the world. When you're already thinking that you're going to fail, you're setting yourself up to fail. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of this OCD and perfectionism can work against you because we've been talking a lot about music, but even in sports, yes, trying to learn how to play golf. And when I first started going out on the course with my buddies, no lessons, had really no sense of what to do with the club. I was always worried about cracking the ball way off the side of the golf course to the left or the right. It was in my mind constantly when I was swinging. And guess what? It was the result. I saw a coach. I got some lessons. Now, that thought of, oh, shoot, this is going to go way left doesn't even cross my mind. It's not on my radar. And that's why getting this experience, you realize that some of the things you're cluing in on when you first do something are not going to be relevant or important after you have a few of those victories under your belt. 100%. The last thing I want to remind everyone, there's three pieces, right? The last one that you're going to get, and this is the best one, because you guys have been listening to our stories for a while now. And they're not always stories of victory 
They're usually stories of, here's how I messed this up. And the last thing that you're going to get by throwing yourself in the unknown is a really rad story to tell your friends, to connect with, to share and show vulnerability. And if you look at going into the unknown, receiving those three things every time that you do it, well, now you're getting something worthwhile out of it. And it just takes getting comfortable with receiving those things because you will always get And that's why it's so important to take the negative and reflect on it to find the positive. As long as you can take everything with a grain of salt and look for those positive wins and in the results that you're getting, you're going to feel empowered to lean in more and take more action. All you can think about is how bad you're going to fail or all you can think about is how difficult it's going to be to complete the next step, how difficult it's going to be to succeed. Well, that's when you're going to start struggling with that anxiety. You know, knowing these things, I think all of us at this point have been in situations that we are rolling into where we already know that things aren't going to go well. And in the past, I've looked at those things and I tried to figure out, could I do anything to get out of this, right? Could I trip and fall, hurt my leg? Right. <laughs> like, what, where's the exit? How is the easiest way to get out of what this? What can I pull out of this? Understanding these things, now I look at those opportunities and I can't wait. Because it's going to be hilarious. It's going to be fun. I'm going to learn something about myself that I previously hadn't known. It just makes life so much more worth living. And then the other thing is a lot of people are like, well, how do you deal with that anxiety that's there, that's in your stomach when before that even happens? Understanding that that could be that anxiety. Or it can be the excitement about you rolling into the unknown about to receive those three things. Right. And either way, that feeling is living, right? Mm -hmm. If you're to dull that feeling, well, there, what's the point of being alive, yeah. right? That anxiety is also that exhilaration, right? The butterflies in our stomach that we're talking about, you feel in victory and you can feel in defeat. But mm -hmm. either way, you're feeling it. My dad had a saying when I, when I was young and I was still working through the stage fright of performing and it, would, and it took a while. And I heard things like, oh, well, you just got the first gig jitters. I never heard anything about second gig jitters or third gig jitters. What is going on? It's like, well, no, it's this process. But I remember asking my dad, like, when will this go away? And he's like, that's not the question you should be asking. The question is, is it there? If that feeling isn't there, well, then you have some real problems. And that's when you should be worried. Right. But as long as you have that anxiety going on, everything's normal. You're about to receive those three wins and you're going to be so much better for it. That's a really powerful lesson from your dad. The last thing we want to talk about, obviously, we've hit everyone with a lot about perfectionism, procrastination. Some people listening have to be wondering, where do I fall on this, right? <laughs> because there was this myth that perfectionism can lead to procrastination yes. and not taking action. We dispelled that. How can we identify if we are a perfectionist? We have eight questions here from Psychology Today that you can ask yourself to determine whether or not you are a perfectionist. These are not cut and dry. There is some nuance. And what we're looking for is extremes and answering yes to multiple of these. Of course. And as we go through them, you'll see that uh, I think a part of these play a little bit in all of us, but there's also the extreme form on all these questions and we'll be happy to point them out as and well. As I was saying earlier, I got to see the back end of all of this perfectionism and the toll it took on my dad's mental health. Once yes. it starts going towards OCD, mm -hmm. worrying constantly, feeling judged by others, it can feel like a prison. 
you can worry yourself to death. And understanding that, okay, maybe I answered a few of these eight questions as, yeah, that's me, starting to think, uh-oh, we're getting to five, six, seven of these questions. Yeah. Well, now this perfectionism can start controlling your life. Mm-hmm. It can lead you down paths of extreme anxiety, depression, and self-harm. Well, one of the things I always say in class is you can either start dealing with these things, taking care of them, or they'll start taking care of you. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. These questions, depending on how you answer them, can tell you whether or not you are a perfectionist. What's the first question, Johnny? Well, I also want to preface this. I think you'll see a little bit of each one of these questions in all of us. It's just when you fall on the extreme end of it is where you should be worried. But the first one is, you think in all or nothing terms. So it's a black and white, and that's what you had mentioned earlier. Either things are going to work or they're not. Something is either right or it's wrong, or it's good or it's bad, or it's perfect or it's a disaster. You tend to think in one extreme or the other. And I know Amy's listening to this. This is a, <laughs> this is a pet peeve of mine, talking in absolutes. Yes, and I'm on the, the guys in boot camp about it, and I'm even on Amy about it. Because when we talk in absolutes, mm-hmm. we don't give anyone an opportunity nope. to learn or be different or have a result that we're not expecting, right? If you assume that she's mean instead of, well, she's sometimes mean, If she's mean, will you write her off? If she's sometimes mean, will you look for those moments when she's not going to be mean? So it's a totally different result. All or nothing is a defeating way to look at things. The second one here, we've known a few people like this in our day, Johnny. You think and then act in extremes. Have you ever acted on a sentiment like this more than once? I had one cookie and screwed up my diet. Oh, I might as well eat them all. I had one slice of pizza. I'm off my diet. Okay, I just got to eat the whole large pizza. I've seen this in myself before. And, you know, certainly when it comes to diet, working out, we've talked about breaking the chain and how if you fall off the wagon, it's not a big deal. You just, you don't want to stop quitting. You want to continue that. You want to try to pick up the pieces where you had left off and start again. Number three, you can't trust others to do a task correctly. So you rarely delegate. Others may even see you as a micromanager or an absolute control freak, but you see your actions as just wanting to get the job done right. No one does it better than me. Well, that's called entrepreneurship. (laughs) (laughs) But at at the same time, when you're smart about it, you know when you're getting wound down and you've bitten off more than you could chew, then you're able to start delegating. But that is a very difficult task. And that is something that you have to learn. Yeah. And you will learn that because it will be the detriment of your company, your business, and yourself if you don't learn it. Number four, you have demanding standards for yourself and others. Obviously, perfectionists fall into this category. You believe in always giving your best and you expect others to do the same. And you are scared to death of looking like a failure. That's the extreme point of it. Absolutely. And I will say that I'm certainly guilty of this a lot. I think anyone is when you do a lot of work on yourself and you start to look at things on how you would do it. And then you're like, why isn't everyone doing it the way I do? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I definitely myself, I've been more accepting of understanding other people's temperaments and understanding that they have to learn the lessons as well. And they have to go through their own growing pains. That's why I said at the end of this, and you were scared to death of looking like a failure. 
And that's where you get in trouble because when you can't learn in front of the others and you can't make mistakes on others, how are they going to be able to get better? And they're not going to want to be around you no. during that process. That's the judgmental side that no one's going to want to be around. You have trouble completing a project because you think there's always something more you can do to make it better. You obsess about sharing your book, project, meal, invitation, business card, website, article, or speech with others. You want to make sure your work is the best it can be before any other eyes see it. <laughs> right? That's what everyone would assume is a perfectionist. That That's one's pretty cut one. and dry. In music, I, have a, I work with somebody that when we finish a song, the rest of us will have already moved on and working on the next thing. And this guy wants to twist knobs for months. You know, how long did Axl Rose take to finally release Chinese Democracy? It was like, I think it might be the most expensive album ever made because he just sat there twisting knobs. Well, this was a challenge for us. And sometimes you get caught up in it, right? The whole idea of minimum viable product, MVP. Yeah. When we were working on the Academy, oh, that was a long nine time. years ago. <laughs> we were trying to build our online course and just kept adding all these bells and whistles. It's got to be gamified. It's got to have this and it's got to have profiles <laughs> in the directory. The gamified aspect. And we kept adding all these features, delaying, delaying, delaying. Finally, the thing launches and we realize that the users only actually engage with 10% of the website. Yeah. And all that other 90% of bells and whistles <laughs> that we spent months and months trying to get to play nice and WordPress didn't even get you. You know, there's so much history in this company. I, for, I, I forgot most. I'm like, oh, right. Yes, I remember that. What a pain in the ass. I just think it's so funny with all that work. It was like, yeah, we just care about this part. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy to me to see the analytics of the site usage and realize that all this stuff I had dreamed up as being so exciting and great, no one cared. No one clicked. No one used. But what did we learn moving forward because of that? Yeah, we don't have to overthink it. Right. Just give them meat, give everyone what they want and yeah. stop trying to overthink things. Number six, you use the word should a lot. I should do this. They should do that. Maybe common phrases, both out loud and inside your head. And you have certain rules you believe that you and others should follow. And when those rules aren't followed, you are not pleased. Going back to Johnny's point, when you're like, why aren't people behaving the way that I behave? You're setting yourself up for this perfectionist mindset that's going to lead to anxiety. Everyone has different temperaments. They were raised differently. They've come from all different places. And that road that they have to go on to learn certain things is a lot different than yours. And one of the things I found the most fun when we were doing, I think it was the Frameworks episode, and we were talking about how two of us who are so different from they might not much different places, but definitely there's a lot of miles between the two. Yeah. And we certainly have uh, time and age difference, but we've learned a lot of those same lessons when they went and it was through different paths. But at the end of the day, those lessons were learned. Yeah. Well, I remember one of the first times we were talking about jobs, first jobs, what we were doing. And, and you were telling me about construction and I had actually worked on landscaping. Yeah. And we were going back and forth about how in that job environment, again, everyone's in a rush to get shit done. Mm -hmm. You can't sit there and be a perfectionist. This, oh, no, this job's no. got to get done. We got to get on to the next operation here. We can't be sitting here making sure every shingle is even. So one weekend I picked up some extra work. I was going to help this guy do some interior painting and he had given me a closet to paint, right? 
I don't know what it is, but I've never been somebody who could color in the lines. Like as a child, it was just bad news. And you've seen my handwriting. It's just not going to happen. It's just perfectionism is not, not certainly there not in that vein. Yeah. And so now I have this job where they had stuck me to paint this closet and I don't want to do a bad job and get the guy who hired me to help him get him in trouble, nor do I want to do a bad job for the people who hired us to do this. So I'm in there and I'm trying to, and I'm doing the best that I can knowing that this is out of my wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> the, and it's just one of those things like the harder I concentrate, like the worse it's getting anyway. It's just right. like, I have no idea how to go about this. But because I took so long to paint this one closet, I can tell you that I was never hired back to help this guy again. And my nickname after that was Pablo Picasso. (laughs) It's a shame that Pablo didn't stick. I could see you as a Pablo. Exactly. (laughs) Number seven, your self-confidence depends on what you accomplish and how others react to you. And this is going back to that value scale episode we were talking about, right? how it can be a low-value behavior when you're constantly judging and comparing yourself to others, especially when you're not getting the reaction you're looking for. You strive for excellence and need validation from others to feel good about your accomplishments. What's more, once you've achieved a goal, you quickly move on to the next one, right? You never actually get to cherish that moment on the mountaintop. Number eight, you tend to fixate on something you messed up. Again, classic perfectionist, right? You screwed up. It keeps you up at night. It's something you dwell on for days, weeks, years. I just want to reiterate here when we're talking about the procrastination, notice how things are getting done. Procrastinating, perfectionism, they're not hand in hand. No. Sorry, folks. It's a, <laughs> and it, it's one of those myths that I bought into I did too. A, as well. So before we, we head, I just want to reiterate how these fears that we have, a lot of them are rooted in scarcity. I'm not going to be good enough. It's not going to be perfect. And when we turn it and reframe it, glory is rooted in abundance. As I talked about how rolling into the unknown and how it's going to affect us and how nervous and scared we are, that's fear. That's rooted in scarcity. What is the glory that you're going to have in the abundance? Getting a great story to tell your friends, learning something new about yourself that you previously didn't know, and getting confidence points, but that you will always be getting by rolling in. And that's the abundance. And I will take that those three things any day of the week. And I know that in my 20s, I wish I was able to see it for that matter. And I, there was many things that I had not tried very hard to. And one of the things I always say to the guys, and I've said to myself a million times, I wish I loved other things as much as I loved music. Because I loved music so much that I didn't mind getting on stage and failing miserably right. over and over and over again. I wasn't able to transfer that into other areas of my life. And it wasn't until I had learned these things myself and gotten to self-development that I was finally able to share that in other areas. And um, and I encourage you all listening out there to learn that as well. And one of the most amazing lessons that I've had over, you know, my shorter life. (laughs) Thanks. Is that the bonds that are formed when you fail together with people are just as strong as the bonds that are formed in victory. It's not all about winning championships. I have close relationships with people that we failed together on something. We didn't reach our goals. We didn't reach our dream. And that occurs far more often than victories and championships. Not being so afraid of that failure component, understanding that that failing together can actually form a really unique, amazing bond. 
I will also add to that, and if you've never done this exercise, I suggest that you do it. Think about all the entrepreneurs or athletes or music, everyone that you look up to. Put a list together of all of your heroes and then go do a deep dive into their failures and look at the list that you come up with and realize that those people that who you revere, it's quite possible that you've only seen those victories. That's the only thing you've noticed. Of them. You didn't see all their previous bands or previous failing companies or all their artwork that they were made anywhere. Yeah, even when you go look at these famous art exhibits, galleries, <laughs> yeah. right? And they're pulling out all the Van Goghs, all the yep. Picassos. You can see through their work a lot of failures. Not everything is a masterpiece, but they continue to push through. And that's how masterpieces were created. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about putting yourself in situations to fail, which for a perfectionist can sound really terrifying. Let's start finding some things that you care less about failing, mm -hmm. that there's not that much stigma or negative association with failing, right? You should definitely find something you're interested in that you know that there's a large growing component to it that you look forward to doing. And in that moment, such as for yourself, golf was a big one for you as of lately. Yeah, and it's continued to be frustrating. Yeah. But the best part is I just watched the Masters and I'm watching the best in the world yep. fail spectacularly because the mental pressure, the physicalness of the game, understanding the course conditions, there's so much that goes into it that you realize that if even the best in the world are missing free throws, they're mm, of course. hitting drives into the trees. Well, it takes a little bit of pressure off of me in that I don't have to hit every drive down the fairway. I can make mistakes and recover. And that's what we're talking about here. It is the recovery because life is all about how you recover from these setbacks. You know, we call that FSU here at the Art of Charm. It's called fuck shit up, right? Let's just get in there. Fuck shit up. Let's have some fun and let's see what we got. Let's learn something. Let's find where we can grow. And that's the only way you're going to be able to do that. The last thing we want to leave you with is something that is really near and dear to us. And we do feel that a lot of the principles at AOC are grounded in this concept of cognitive behavioral therapy. Absolutely. Putting Being able yourself to in a supportive environment to work through your anxieties and to work through your negative mindsets. And I know sometimes it's not easy to find that with your current group of friends, but everything we're talking about here, whether it's Toastmasters, whether it's a dancing class, a cooking class, MMA, CrossFit, improv, you're going to find a bunch of other people who are willing to fail together and support you in that process. So as a perfectionist, you don't have to go this alone. You don't have to feel like a failure on your own. You can find other people who are having fun failing together and growing together. If there's anything that's still sticky, where if you've labeled yourself as a failure and you kind of find yourself in a loop and you're beating yourself up, the other thing that we would recommend is ACT, Acceptance Commitment Therapy. And there's a great book called The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris. That should definitely help you put yourself in a position to work through that, that loop that just seems to never be able to get broken. How would you define action commitment therapy for those of us who are not familiar with the concept? You know, it's understanding and accepting the idea that you're going to have thoughts that come through, but those thoughts doesn't mean anything. And your emotions that are tied to those thoughts, sure, you don't want to think of yourself as a failure or beat yourself up, but you have to understand that those thoughts are going to come and go. And what you want to do is be able to accept that you have these thoughts, defuse the emotions that are tied to those thoughts. 
and commit yourself to more action. To more action. So we'll link up the books. Thank you for joining us this week on a fun show about perfectionism. As Johnny was saying earlier, love to hear from you. If you're digging the show on social media, you're checking out the Twitter account we have at theartofcharm.com or Instagram, hit us up there. If you have show ideas, you'd like us to discuss a topic, get some feedback from us on something, feel free to submit them on social media or email me, AJ, at The Art of Charm, or Johnny at The Art of Charm. We love hearing from you. Yes, we read everything, and we try to respond on social media. I think both of us try to stay out of social media as possible, but if you're going to write to me, I want to respond to you. And so we try to say hello and, and know what's going on with you guys. So, Well, have a great week. If you're interested in learning more about the boot camp, what we do here in Los Angeles, you can go to theartofcharm.com slash boot camp and learn more from us. Thank you again to our sponsors. We love having you guys support the show and we will hear from you next week.